The following is a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Thank you, Sheldon. Good morning again, Grace Family Church. It's good to be with you all again. Uh, Sam and I and, and Sean were away this week. Sean is still away. Um, this past week, um, we had a, a very good and a very full trip. We had the opportunity to visit with some friends who are dear to us and with churches who have supported us and are still supporting us uh, in Pennsylvania. And then we spent much of this past week in Orlando, Florida at the Sovereign Grace Pastors and Wives Conference. Uh, that's our annual conference, the annual conference for our denomination. And this year we're actually celebrating 40 years as a movement. So it was a really significant conference. Looking back on God's grace, uh, looking forward to how God wants to lead us into the future together. I'm deeply grateful for all the opportunities we had this week to fellowship, to sit under God's word, but we never like being away from this family. Without qualification, you are first in our hearts and our prayers. You are our joy and our crown. So it's good to be home and it's good to be with you on this, the best day of the week. Would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 15? There was a moment that kind of froze in time for me this past week. A, a very brief interaction. Uh, we were at the conference and it was just uh, you know, in the lead up to the first session and I'm standing in the foyer and it dawns on me that you know, I, I'm standing with three other men and we're exchanging introductions, greeting each other. And it just kind of dawned on me what was going on in that moment. One of those men was David. Uh, my former classmate from the pastor's college who, alongside his father, has planted Iglesia Gracia Soberana in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. There was Hector, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church in Indola, Zambia, whom I met for the first time on this trip. He was with me in Philadelphia at an event there. We met there, and then we ended up talking again just before the conference. And there was a Filipino brother whose name I didn't retain, but he's a leader from one of our sister churches in Sydney, Australia. He came as a part of a contingent of about a dozen leaders who flew some ridiculous number of hours to be at that conference with us all. Standing there, just shaking hands, exchanging introductions, apart from being grateful for a much shorter flight, I recognized with awe that God birthed our little church into a family that's investing in and enjoying fruitful global partnerships. This morning, I'm going to share a few stories to help you to better appreciate the partnership we're in. But I want to do much more than that. I want to pull you further into that partnership. Without putting you on a plane, I want to get you more involved in that partnership. In Romans 15, as Paul wraps up his magnificent letter, he makes an appeal to believers in Rome, most of whom he has not yet met, to partner with him in his mission. Paul's appeal here in, verse, in verses 30 to 33 shows us how we can meaningfully and powerfully engage with and participate in what God is doing through our denomination from right here on our little island. Let's read these few verses in God's holy word. Romans chapter 15, verses 30 to 33. 
I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In 1976, a man named Nolan Bushnell refused a request that was made of him, and he has never forgotten it. Now, I doubt you've ever heard of Nolan Bushnell. You may, depending on your age and interest, have heard of the company he founded, Atari. You're likely to have heard of the person whose request uh, and offer Bushnell refused, though he died over a decade ago. His name was Steve Jobs. At the time, Jobs was working for Bushnell at Atari which made arcade games in those days, the big units that you'd put in the arcades that you'd go to. And in his spare time, Jobs, along with another employee, had built one of the first personal computers. One day, Jobs goes to Bushnell with his innovation, and he asked him for 50,000 US in return for a third of the newly formed Apple Computer Company. Bushnell said no. In doing so, he missed out on a sizable stake of a company that this year was estimated to be worth three trillion US dollars. Not to mention the adventure of seeing it grow from a startup and, and the joy of shared success. Missed opportunity feels like a massive understatement. This morning, I want to offer you an opportunity like Bushnell had. No, not the chance to own one third of Apple. I said like. I'm not making that sort of pitch. In fact, the offer I'd like to put in front of you is a lot more significant than that. God wants us to join with him in a venture he has started. He's offering us the opportunity to have a stake with others in something massive. He's commissioned some to lead the charge in different parts of the world, and he's calling others to become partners with them. In this passage that we read, Paul passionately appeals to the believers he's writing to in Rome to join in the gospel work he's doing through prayer. We have a tremendous and powerful resource at our disposal. I want to enlist your partnership through prayer with people that God has already connected us to through our family of churches. He wants us to invest in them and become their backers as they do the same for us. And what God is drawing us into will lead to meaningful friendships and the joy of shared success as God advances his purposes through partnership. The big thing we're going to see in this passage is this. Prayer is a powerful and meaningful opportunity to partner with others in gospel mission. Prayer is a powerful and meaningful opportunity to partner with others in gospel mission. In the verses that precede Paul's appeal, what the apostle does is he lays out his detailed travel plans that would eventually lead him to Rome, which included a trip to Jerusalem to complete an important assignment of delivering financial aid for, from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. So, in light of all these plans and the challenges that he's anticipating on this trip, Paul calls his recipients into immediate partnership with him in his mission through prayer. The way that Paul makes his appeal, the words that give it, it, give it serious yet joyful gravity will help us to understand that prayer is a powerful and meaningful opportunity to partner with others in gospel mission. I want to take these four verses and point out three truths that emerge from them about prayer in the context of mission. Firstly, it's grounded in the gospel. Secondly, it makes us into partners. 
Thirdly, it requests God's blessings of success and fellowship. So let's consider the first of those. Prayer for mission is grounded in the gospel. Now, if you look at these verses, it's a very short passage, and if you strip everything away, Paul is actually making quite a simple request. Pray for me. Now, how many times have you made that request? I mean, I can't count the number of times in my lifetime that I've asked people in different contexts to pray for me. In fact, I can't even count the number of times I've asked some of you to pray for me as we've journeyed together over the last few months. So if this is simply a prayer request, why all this build-up? What's going on in this appeal? By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. That's weighty, isn't it? And it's deliberate. Paul is not prepared to simply say, well, guys, you know, these are my travel plans, so just... Please pray for me. He makes an appeal and he grounds that appeal in the results and blessings that come from the saving work of Jesus. Pay attention to what he says here. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ. His appeal is on the basis of the authority of Jesus, God's chosen one who suffered for the sins of his people and is reigning as Lord of the universe. And Paul just doesn't just say, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's reminding them of the fact that they all have the same Savior as he does and live under the gracious rule of the same Lord as he does. So it should be pretty clear that for Paul, this request for prayer is not simply a personal matter. It concerns the mission of Christ and the well-being of Christ's church. He adds to that by the love of the Spirit. So he's appealing also then on the basis of the mutual love that the Spirit has inspired between these believers and between him and these believers. Now, he knows that they have experienced the surprising sense of connection to each other and deep concern for each other. And now for him, that's a work of the Spirit of God in their hearts. I mean, think about it. Haven't we experienced that as a local church? I look around at some of you, and some of you only arrived here a few weeks or a few months ago. Yet, there's a warm, thin greeting. There's a connection we're building. There's a sense of family that that we quickly come into. And that's the work of God's Holy Spirit. Paul wants that love to overflow into prayer. So, his appeal is is, is to both authority and intimacy. He's reminding them that they take orders from the same general and that they're brothers in arms with deep love for one another. It's notable that in calling them to prayer, Paul addresses these Christians in Rome as brothers and sisters, even though most of them were strangers to him. He had never met most of the people he was writing to, yet he considered them to be family because of Jesus and expressed deep affection for them throughout this letter. And he wanted them to understand that one of the ways they could express their love for him was praying intently for him. When you put it all together, the way Paul addresses these believers and the authority and intimacy wrapped up in his appeal communicate the importance and urgency he attaches to prayer. A good number of years ago on on cable TV, there was a memorable commercial for the ASPCA, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. It featured these these images of sad and forlorn-looking dogs and cats some who had been injured, set against this haunting and emotive song entitled Angel by by Sarah McLaughlin. 
and a plea for donations from the singer herself. Yeah, you guys know that one, yeah. So, like, you know, the, the ad appealed on the basis of the innocent suffering of these animals and on the compassion that you, the viewer, should feel towards them. Now, I can remember being in rooms with people and we're having lively conversation and that ad came on and the conversation kind of peters out and everybody gets kind of quiet and sad and you're just like, okay, this is awkward. The appeal was warranted in the minds of the ASPCA because people's donations matter. This appeal in Romans was warranted in Paul's mind because prayer matters. Now, a lot of people pray for others who are in need. But for us who have been rescued by Jesus, prayer should take on a vastly different significance and importance. Our prayers are an expression of our belief in and submission to the Lordship of Christ. Amazingly, the one who rules over all things is the one who taught us how to pray. And our prayers for each other are an expression of the love we've received and the love we share as believers. They're one of the ways that we care for each other. Now, when you're connected to others in a family of churches that spread across dozens of countries around the world, you can't often look across the room and see each other's faces. Sam and Sean and I were able to do that this week. We were able to look across the room and see faces of partners from way across the world who we only get to see at best once a year. You know, when you're, when you're spread out the way we are as a family of churches, you can't often ask thoughtful questions to draw each other out. But we can pray as we hear what's going on and the specific needs our sister churches have. Prayer is one of the ways we can care for believers in our family of churches. Sovereign Grace has a monthly newsletter that focuses on updates and requests from our churches based outside of the U.S. We have a more general one, but we do have our our, our global missions newsletter. We're going to put up a QR code at the end of the service, or maybe even now if you see it there, Nikki, with a link where you can sign up to get that newsletter. What I've started doing for myself is once a month, I dedicate one of my times of morning prayer to just praying through that newsletter, thanking God for specific blessings and lifting up specific requests. We'll put that up again at the end of the service if you want to just grab that code and sign up for the newsletter. I recommend that you do so. When you're praying through a list and you don't necessarily know the people involved, prayer can feel a bit mechanical. But this passage can help us to remember that what we're doing in those moments is not different from what Paul was asking these believers who did not know him to do. He shared his plans with them and appealed to them to pray. Those prayers were a response to the lordship of Jesus and the love of the Spirit that marked the life of those believers. We have the same Lord and we've experienced the love of the same Spirit. And that binds us in mission to fellow believers we may not ever meet in this life. May this passage shape the way that we think about such prayers. Now, our prayers don't have to be long, but they should never be offhand. Our prayers matter. They affect the outcome of things. They express our trust in the cosmic rulership of Christ and our love for each other. So we've seen that in the mind of Paul, prayer for mission is grounded in the gospel. Now we listen to and consider the nature of what he's asking of these believers. What we'll come to see is that prayer for mission makes us into partners. Look in your Bibles and pay attention to the language in verse 30. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The verb used here pictures being engaged in conflict. And it may allude to 
to the spiritual battle we engage in as we pray, or to the way that sometimes in prayer we wrestle with God. But it seems that what Paul is doing is calling the Roman Christians to come alongside him in his difficult assignment through prayer. So again, we can learn much about prayer in this passage. Prayer to God is an important means of partnering in the mission of the gospel. These believers were not called to do all that Paul was doing. They wouldn't walk the miles he would walk. They wouldn't experience the conflicts and imprisonment that he would. They wouldn't stand before the people that he would to declare the message of Jesus. But he was inviting them to have a vested interest in and to participate in what he was doing through prayer. In Sovereign Grace, we have many partners on paper. One of the most important ways we make that partnership tangible is by praying for one another. On Saturday last weekend, Sam and I attended a global dinner at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. That's a church where Sean did his internship, so the whole Taylor family was there for about nine months. Uh, we gave an update on what's going on with this church, and we heard updates from brothers serving in Costa Rica, in Bolivia, in Zambia, and an update from our director of global missions, who's based in Sydney, Australia, and travels to support our work in Asia and Africa and Europe. Now, what's interesting to me is that at that dinner, we weren't doing any fundraising. Nobody was highlighting financial needs and asking for help. What we wanted to do was raise awareness of what God was doing around the world in our little movement and to call that local church to pray for their brothers and sisters. We wanted to take the opportunity to help that church to connect with these specific churches that were represented. This passage in Romans 15 tells us that when we pray, we are getting work done. Now, our culture in Jamaica on a whole doesn't understand this. I mean, we're open to prayer, yes. In fact, if you don't open some events in prayer, people don't feel right. You know? it, 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 it feels a bit like bad luck. We didn't pray? How are we, how are we starting this thing? You know? At the same time, we can, like much of the Western world, see prayer akin to sending positive thoughts. Sometimes you hear people criticize call for prayer in times of crisis by calling instead for action, creating a dichotomy between the two. But prayer is work. And surely we're not only called to pray, but there are situations when we are asked to pray, and it's important to realize that for us as Christians, prayer is not an expression of kind sentiment or hopeless last resort but of confidence in God's power and of loving participation with others. Prayer is a way of working together with people we are far from and perhaps have never met. I want to take some time to give you a sense of the scope of the work we're connected to through our relationships in Sovereign Grace. Uh, as many of you know, we were planted as a Sovereign Grace church. Sean, Sheldon, and I trained with Sovereign Grace, uh, we were prepared specifically to come back to plant a church. They backed us financially in doing that so that I could serve full-time from the very start. We're a part of a family of 85 partner churches, with 65 of those located in the U.S. But we're serving in 45 different countries around the world in some shape or form. Some of that is supporting local churches on the ground who are not yet a part or, or formerly a part of our movement. Um, so we then are one of 20 global partner churches right now. Sovereign Grace has planted 12 churches in the past two years, including three on the African continent, six in the Philippines, and six in the Philippines. And we have, more, uh, we have, more, we have 20 more church plants planned for the next two years, 
of which only four will be in the U.S. So we're planting much more globally now. Currently, there are at least 75 global churches who have requested adoption into the family. So one of the ways we serve churches, apart from planting churches, we adopt churches who have similar values and similar doctrines because there are a lot of churches out there who are functioning on their own. And a lot of their pastors realize it's dangerous to be out there on your own. You don't have accountability, you don't have fellowship, you don't have partnership. So increasingly churches are approaching us and asking, can we join the family? We're anticipating that 60 of those 75 will be adopted within the next two to three years. 11 in Africa, 15 in Latin and South America, 8 in Europe, and 26 in the Asia-Pacific region. What all of this means is that in the next two to three years, our denomination is expected to double in size and may well have more global churches than U.S. churches. And managing this level of growth is a massive challenge. Uh, Several leaders at our conference mentioned that we have a wonderful problem in front of us. And we're not going to cut corners. Last month, five elders from Sovereign Grace churches in the States and Australia traveled to the Philippines. They ordained two pastors who have been on the path to full partnership in Sovereign Grace for a number of years. And they administered the last stage of the ordination process, which is a three-hour oral exam, for 15 candidates. Ten of those passed and will be ordained early next year. So the number of churches we have in the Philippines will balloon from 2 to 12 by about March next year. The team decided that five of those candidates were not yet ready to be ordained. They'll continue to work with them and they'll resit those oral exams in the future. Now I want you to understand that the churches we're adopting already consider themselves to be a part of Sovereign Grace. Some of them even name themselves Sovereign Grace Church in anticipation of being adopted. They share the same values that we have, our passion for the gospel, our commitment to building gospel culture in our local church. So I say that because I want you to understand that what you have experienced as you've been among us is what you'll experience if you go to those churches. You're going to experience the same DNA, the same culture. I had the opportunity to hear an update from Ethiopia where we have one church and a pastor's college in Addis Ababa. Their first pastor's college cohort just graduated. Uh, They received the same rigorous preparation that Sean, Sheldon, and I benefited from several years ago. These men represent at least five different African nations, and several of them plan to return home to plant churches. We can be praying for them and our growing family in the Philippines and all the work that's going on around the world and in the U.S., I was walking one evening at the conference and I ran into Michael Granger, who is the lead pastor of our church in Addis. And he asked about how you all are doing. You know, I was planning to just be talking about his church and what's going on and how excited we are about what's happening. But he kind of slowed me down and said, how's Grace Family Church? How are these guys doing? I can't tell you the number of conversations I had with people where the first question was, how is the church? Understand that people have been praying for you. This particular message is one I shared several times uh, before we left the States. I had the opportunity to travel to several different Sovereign Grace churches and just to to, to garner support both financially and in prayer for what we were doing. So I was looking back at, at my manuscript and really just amazed at some of the specific things we were asking prayer for and amazed how God has been answering those prayers. Uh... You know, we haven't been at the conference for three years. I was meeting people who are newer to the movement and had no idea we had a church in Jamaica. But they left those conversations promising to pray for you, to pray for us. 
Just yesterday, I received an email from a fellow pastor uh, whom Sean and I ran into uh, and had a brief conversation with at the conference. His name is Larry McCall. Both Sean and I were thanking him for how his book about loving your wife has been serving our team of elders. He wrote me yesterday to thank me for our encouragement and to ask how he can pray for our church. In the economy of mission, Paul sees prayer as a significant way people who otherwise might feel that they're far from the action can get into the game. So do you want to play a bigger role in the mission of God? Then deliberately make time for purposeful prayer by yourself and with others. We want to do more of that together as a local church. It's why we pray for different churches and, uh, and initiatives in our denomination as a part of pastoral prayer. It's why we're going to spend some time at the end of this service praying for some specific requests. It's why we also pray for other local churches here in Jamaica. We're excited by what's happening in our denomination, but we know that we have no monopoly on the work of the gospel. We want to support local churches as they faithfully engage in gospel mission and gospel discipleship, even if we don't agree with everything that they believe. So we're seeing in this passage then that prayer is a powerful and meaningful opportunity to partner with others in global mission. But as we partner, what are we seeking together in prayer? Prayer for mission requests God's blessings of success and fellowship. That's what we're going to see in the remaining verses. Prayer for mission requests God's blessings of success and fellowship. Paul asks prayer for two specific things with a particular goal in mind. He wants him to pray for his personal safety as he goes to Jerusalem. He's anticipating that he's going to face trouble from Jews, from, from some of the Jews there who did not believe the gospel. And he did, in fact. Acts 21 tells the story of Paul's arrival in Jerusalem and the events that followed. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem were concerned that the Jews who misunderstood Paul's ministry among the Gentiles would not be happy about his presence in Jerusalem. So they kind of took him aside and gave him advice. All right, you know, you need to go do this vow and everything and you need to try to behave in a way that's going to send the right signals to the Jews. But despite following their advice, when Paul showed up in the temple and was recognized, there was a riot as people tried to grab him and kill him. I mean... This is the temple. Like, this is crazy when you think about it. It was Roman soldiers who saved Paul from his fellow Jews. Paul's second prayer request was that the aid he was bringing from the Gentiles to the believers in Jerusalem would be received by them. As these Roman readers of his letter knew well, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the church could be a tenuous thing. In this letter, in chapter 14, Paul gave specific guidance about how the believers in Rome of Jewish and Gentile backgrounds were to live with each other, not passing judgment on each other and welcoming each other as Christ had welcomed them. It appears that Paul's concern was that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem might feel pressure from unbelieving Jews in regard to the aid that was sent by Gentiles. Based on the account in Acts 21, apparently the gift was joyfully received. In all of this, Paul's ultimate goal was that he would be able to finish the mission and come to visit the believers in Rome and be refreshed by them. But as Acts tells us, things didn't go as planned. You know, ultimately when we pray, we are seeking God's will. We ask for specific things based on the wisdom we have in a given situation. 
Paul's prayer requests were completely reasonable based on his sense of calling and the godly goal he had to do gospel ministry in Spain, uh, supported by the church in Rome. But because prayer is an act of submission to the Lordship of Christ, we make our requests and we trust him to do us best, even if it's not exactly what we ask for. Paul was delivered from the unbelieving Jews, but certainly not in the way he had hoped. He was rescued by Roman soldiers, but was arrested. Ultimately, after several years in Roman custody, to avoid being handed over to the Jews, he appealed to Caesar and was taken to Rome as a prisoner. In Rome, he was kept under house arrest for at least two years, but was able to welcome visitors and share the gospel with them. And these visitors surely included these believers that he was writing to in Rome. Once again, there's much that we can learn about prayer right here in this passage. Our prayers are powerful. Look at Paul's requests. Notice that one is petitioning God to shape the hearts and actions of believers, and the other, the hearts and actions of unbelievers. God uses our prayers to affect both believers and unbelievers for the sake of success in his mission. But our prayers are not ultimate. God's will is ultimate. A part of his will is that we pray, and as we've seen, those prayers are one of the ways in which we participate in God's mission. Some of the brothers and sisters we can be praying for are doing gospel work despite real and present danger. This is the case for our partners in Pakistan. Uh, If you see photos from Pakistan in our newsletter, you'll notice that the faces of the pastors are blurred out because they can't safely show their faces in pictures online. It would endanger their lives. The same is true for one of the the recent graduates from our Ethiopian Pastors College because he's from a Muslim nation. As he does ministry among his people, each time he shares the gospel, he risks his life. This past summer in Belarus, soldiers broke into the home of one of the pastors we partner with during the night, arresting him and his wife. The couple was at a demonstration that was held in 2020, and they weren't demonstrating. What they were doing was just doing ministry to the protesters. His wife was photographed holding up a sign with a Bible verse. Because of this, they've they've released him because they had nothing on him, but they've kept her in custody and she's facing two years in jail for that. A church in Dnipro, in the Ukraine, pastored by a Ukrainian graduate of our pastor's college in Germany, has been serving refugees coming to that city because of the war. Though much of the congregation itself, the original congregation, has fled the country, those who remain, what they do is they rearrange their church building each week and put in cots so that they can house refugees who have nowhere to go. And then on Sundays, they rearrange everything again and have their service. Their pastor reported that they don't advertise what they're doing. They're they're not promoting it in any way, yet the church is full every Sunday. They had 600 people there on a recent Sunday. Some of those people are hearing the gospel for the very first time because they've been, been displaced by the war. Now, in such a dangerous world, we can feel entirely powerless, but our prayers are powerful. God will not always answer them in the way we expect, but he will watch over his people and his mission as he promised. Now, I don't have the time to tell you any more stories this morning, but there are many more. I want to encourage you to take some time this week to watch testimonies from the conference. Uh, we heard testimonies from Christian Wegert, who's who pastors in Germany, uh, from uh, Chovi, who, who pastors in Mexico, 
I'm going to forget people. There, there are some local, local U.S. updates, but a lot of global updates. Um, a link is there to our Vimeo page, which has those testimonies as the first listing there. Some of the stories told were amazing. Some of the stories of what God is doing through churches, through individuals who come to faith. Uh, one I'll highlight that you really need to hear is the story. I think her name was Lily in the Philippines, who through her coming to faith, entire islands were being saved. It's ridiculous just what God was doing. She was going back to her people and sharing the gospel. And entire families, hundreds of people were just coming to faith. Um, so I, I encourage you to, to, to watch those testimonies because they really can stir our faith for what God is doing. Not just out there, but what God can do here among us. What God can do as we witness for Christ among our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors. One of the goals of prayer in this passage, one of the goals of prayer for mission is mutual joy. I'm sure that the believers who had received Paul's letter rejoiced to finally meet him when he came to Rome, even though the circumstances were different from what they had envisioned. For us, just like those Roman Christians, there are aspects of shared joy that we can experience now as we hear reports of what God is doing, particularly in our sister churches in Sovereign Grace, and we rejoice in His goodness. In all of this, we are joyfully aware that the ultimate expression of this mutual joy will be when we meet Jesus and all our brothers and sisters in the new world. That's really where all of this is headed. Through the mission of the gospel, God will gather a crowd from every tribe and nation and language and tongue, and we will all rejoice around His throne, knowing that our prayers played a role in his mission. As I'd mentioned, looking back on this manuscript and just versions of it, uh, from a few years later, I really could rejoice in very specific prayers that we had prayed, that we saw God answer. Uh, we were praying for you before we knew who you were. We were asking churches to pray for you, that God would draw people to this church and that they would become family to us. So we rejoice in that. We rejoice in all of you who God is drawing. But not everything I asked those churches to pray for has happened. God has definitely done some things differently from we expected. And there's some things we were praying for almost four years ago that he has not yet done. But we trust Him for the work He's doing among us and for the work He's doing in the nations of the world. Paul concluded his request for prayer with a prayer for his recipients, with a blessing. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Each year we gather as a family of churches for our conference and then we scatter to face the unknown. We do not know what a year will bring. As I mentioned, it's been three years since any of us from here got to attend our conference. In those years, we've lost pastors who are precious, who are, who are precious to us. Um, we lost Wilbur Chanda, who was, was leading the work in Zambia. And it was such a joy to see that God had raised up three other men to continue the work that he was doing and to speak with his wife, Zicky, who attended the conference this year. We lost Larry Malament, uh, a pastor from Maryland, who was very generous to us and... and, and uh, encouraged his church to support us when we were going to the pastor's college. And they actually paid a significant chunk of our fees. Larry died suddenly about three weeks ago. We really don't know what a year will bring. We face the same uncertainty as a local church as we gather and scatter each week. We just don't know what a week will bring. 
But even when we don't know ultimately what God will do, we can receive the blessing of peace from Him. You can live each day this week by God's grace and in God's peace. We can strive together in prayer with our brothers and sisters around the world and rest in the peace of God because He is God and He is good and He has shown us mercy in the gospel. Nothing will separate any of us from His love and He will cause the gospel to advance and bear fruit in the nations of the world. You have just listened to a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.